Way down in Missouri When I heard this lullaby While the stars were blinking And the moon was shining high Welcome to Shorn, Missouri. This is Missouri, one county at a time. We have a very special show this week. We are here with Gary Kramer, the head of the Missouri Historical Society. Mr. Kramer, I'm so honored to have you on the show. There's probably not one person better suited to be on our program than you, sir. Thank you for the time. Kind of you. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. So, author, historian, but I don't know where are you, where are you where are you from? Where's your kin folks from? I grew up in Osage County, Missouri. Um, my folks came to that county in the 1840s, German immigrants, and I, now where did where did they come from in Germany? They came from. Uh, a little community called Lank, L-A-N-K, not far from Dusseldorf. Gotcha. Um, they were part of a chain migration into Osage County in the 1840s. Two brothers came. Uh, one settled in the community of Loose Creek. Actually, they both did originally. And then uh, subsequently in the second generation, I think they ran out of land. And, uh, uh, my ancestor followed the Loose Creek, which eventually merges with the Missouri River. Mm -hmm. Just followed the, the creek down to a community that was a borning uh, that later came to be called Frankenstein. And uh, I, was, I was born in a hospital in Jefferson City, but I grew up in that community. I didn't know anybody who wasn't German and Catholic. The heart of the community then and now was a Catholic church. Uh, there's a magnificent church there built in 1922. My grandfather was the principal carpenter on that building. I went to school in a building that had been built in 1892 as a combination church and school. That building was torn down in 1963. But uh, I lived just a couple hundred yards from the school. I was a town guy, uh, if you consider a community with 38 people, a town. Well, I'm from Strangtown, and we got, it fluctuates between 12 and three dozen. <laughs> okay, so you One know. to three dozen, but somewhere in there. It's, yeah. got a, it's got two churches, a bar, and a gas station. We had one more church than we did, but we had a <laughs> bar. I lived right across the street from the bar, which was a community gathering place. Mm -hmm. My best friend's uh, uncle ran the bar, so we hung out there and played pool. In fact, uh, I was 11, 12, 13 years old, and uh, his, his uncle's name was Hubert, Hubie, Uncle Hubie. And so one day Uncle Hubie had to go to town. Town was Lynn, nine miles away, to the bank. So he says to the two of us adolescents, you think you boys can run this place while I'm gone? We got it, Uncle Hubie. And so we ran the bar. Uh, while he was gone for a couple of hours. People came in, wanted a beer. We sold him a beer for a quarter. Some guy came in and wanted a hamburger. There was a hot plate in the back, so we made him a hamburger. Different time, different place. Well, you gotta have something to eat. You sell a lot more beer if you got something in the guy's <laughs> belly, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, you, when you say you're a local, you really are a local. Yeah, yeah. I. I now, went now to, what, what, what about time did your family come over? Was it in that in the migration? In the 1840s. Yeah, the civil, the civil wars in Germany yeah, yeah. and Prussia. So then he comes over with the, with the crowd. So I guess for your family, the civil war, like most Germans, probably a little closer to the Union side? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the community I grew up in is in Lynn Township. Mm -hmm. uh, I think... I think... Lincoln got all but two votes in the 1860 wow. election. Um, in Butler County, as you might suspect, Lincoln got three votes. Yeah. And they know who they are. Yeah, yeah. Their families were a little bit shamed, I think. Um, I think I think Breckenridge from Kentucky, the mm -hmm. secessionist candidate, I think he carried 20 Missouri counties. One of them was Cole, where the capital city is. Explain that. It's because Jefferson City was settled largely by upland southerners from Virginia, Kentucky, and Tennessee. The Germans started coming here in the 1840s and 1850s, but the old upland southerners still controlled politics. In fact, uh, 
in the late 1850s, there was a move by some of these German immigrants and their supporters to create a new town. They were gonna call Upper Jefferson that was gonna be essentially from about where Patty Malone's is west down into the Cold Junction bottom. And it was gonna be an abolitionist uh, city. And they were, they were creating this community because of their anger and frustration with what they called the courthouse clique, which was the Democrats who supported uh, the Confederacy. Uh, Jeff City got its first German immigrant mayor in 1862, a guy named Bernard Bruns. There were lots of Brunses around. I know Mark, and yeah, I think it's yeah. connected Shirtail yeah. Ken yeah. back in the day. So how did that happen? It happened because the provisional government in Missouri, the Radical Republicans, mm -hmm. disenfranchised Southern Democrats who wouldn't take the loyalty oath. And when these old upstock or up upland Southerners in Cole County wouldn't take the loyalty oath, the only people who could vote were the German immigrants. And they elected a German immigrant as governor in 1862. He lived in a great house that stood where the post office is right across from the Capitol. And his uh, one of the most uh, moving books I've ever read is a collection of letters that his wife wrote back to Germany from 1835 wow. until 1899. These were discovered about 30, 40 years ago and uh, translated and put into a book called Home Dear As Always, which is how she always signed her letters. And so she describes watching things from across the street in the Capitol. Her husband died rather suddenly in 1864 as mayor, and uh, she had no idea they were living off of borrowed money. Uh, in fact, he owned a store just on, this, on the corner here, on this block of Madison Street, the corner of Madison and High. He was a doctor, but he never practiced medicine. He came to America to be a farmer. He, he was one of what we call the Latin farmers, the well-educated Germans who wanted to farm. The, the kind of pastoralism of the York. He didn't know a darn thing about farming. But he farmed first out in the Westphalia area in Osage County, and after 20 years of frustration out there, they moved to Jefferson City. Uh, but what, when he died and the bill collector started descending upon her, uh, she was appalled and worried, and she turned the big house they had into a boarding house. But true to her husband's politics, she wouldn't rent to a Democrat. And many, by this time, in, in the 1860s, the legislature is controlled by, yeah. by radical Republicans, many of whom have German roots. And so her house became known as the German Diet, uh, which was the German parliament, and rented to, to these guys who would have tremendous influence on the 1865 Constitution in Missouri. Well, I mean, it's, you know, I always find it funny um, some folks will say, well, you're a Republican, you own newspapers, it's kind of an odd thing. You openly discuss your thoughts, your views on things. I'm like, well, I would not be the most influential Republican to own newspapers. That would be the elected state representative, Joseph Pulitzer, right? Absolutely. Or would be Gary Rust. Yeah. Not sure which one. If you're in Southeast Missouri, they run a tight race, but I would say Mr. Pulitzer's got him lapped a little bit once you get uh, north of yeah. Perry a little bit. Uh, it is interesting, it's such an interesting thing how the politics of, of this town and the culture of this town influences, and it's true for every capital. Look at, look at Illinois and how, it, how it's Springfield. Of course, the Chicago people deride it, and it creates a real insular thing sometimes for the bureaucracy. You're either Springfield or you're Chicago. Jeff City has an interesting thing. I've always felt like Kansas City folks feel more connected to the state. They, they care more about Missouri. They care more about state politics. St. Louis people care a lot about St. Louis. And when people come here, it is truly interesting to see Kansas City people have a culture, I think, that embraces the capital and Jefferson City. And, and, and the culture of this town very much affects the everyday goings-on of the legislature, which affects the whole state. Well, I think it's because Missouri, uh, uh, Jefferson City is more a Western community, mm -hmm. as is Kansas City. Yeah. Uh, Kansas City is sometimes described as the western or the easternmost mm -hmm. western city, and St. Louis the western or the easternmost western city. And I, I think there's I think there's a lot of truth to that. You know, I mean, it, it's always intrigued me that there was no here here when the yeah. jury was created. There's no Jefferson City, and it was created by the legislature with 
I'm sure you know, three conditions where the permanency of government is. One, it's gotta be on the Missouri River. That's the I-70 of the early 19th century. The second is it's gotta be within 40 miles of the mouth of the Osage, which is the artery of trade and traffic into the Ozarks. The third one is what's interesting. It has to be on four full sections of land that the ownership of the ownership of which is not disputed. Why? Because there had been attempts to put the capital across the river in Callaway County, but that was good farmland. And there were already people who claimed that they had a Spanish land grant, that they had a New Madrid claim. And so the legislature just got frustrated and threw up their hands and said, we're, we, we want land that nobody wants. So think about what I said. The legislature wanted the capital to be someplace that was easy to get to, but to which no one ever wanted to come. Uh, and, and so the community grows up. And throughout the 19th century, one of the dominant themes of Missouri history is that Jeff City is in an adequate place for yes. capital. In 1829, there was a surveyor coming from Virginia to lay out the Cumberland Road. And he, he wrote back to his brother in Virginia, uh, in his anticipation, well, you know, I'm gonna get to see the capital. And he got here and he wrote back to his brother and he said, this is a direct quote, he said, "'Tis a rough looking city indeed, it will never amount to a thing." And throughout the 19th century, uh, there were efforts to move the capital. Mm -hmm. In fact, that's one of the reasons the prison was here. Governor John Miller, as the legislature began to debate uh, the, the need for a penitentiary, many people wanted to put it in St. Louis uh, because that's where the population yeah. was. Miller said, no, let's put it in Jefferson City. The more public buildings we can build in the capital city, the less likely it is that they'll move the capital. And so the prison got built here in 1836. I think for, for a, from, I guess, capital culture standpoint, it does well. I think it's been good. Now, I, I've, I've always felt like the reformers who've tried to reform campaign contributions, lobbyists, all, I think every one of them means well. Now, they may have political re designs, but they mean well. But I found that when um, when people get to know the names of uh, their, their, if you're on a committee with someone and you see them and you're arguing different sides, Republican, Democrat, or now Republican, Republican, but if you if you have a beer with somebody, you get to know their kids' names. And what the, if you know someone's kids' names, you're much less likely less likely to hate them. And I think that Jeff City, because it does not have some of the amenities Kansas City and St. Louis have, forces people to go and, and visit and, and build a relationship a little easier than if you were in a community that had 20 things to do. I mean, at night, there's, there's a handful of places within walking into the Capitol to, to have a beer or to have dinner. And because there's so few, you stumble on each other. Even in this world that, that I think the reformers, Jason Kander, he told me something. He said, I think people should have dinner with different people. Mm -hmm. And if we give them lobbyist gifts, I think it'll help people meet different folks. And, and I, I, at the time, I, that made sense to me. It's actually been the opposite. Because a lobbyist will might buy dinner for someone. He wants your support on an issue. He doesn't really care. I mean, I'm sure he likes them, but for the most part, he's trying to build a coalition of people, usually diverse people. And I found that if you get to, if you just the lobbyist gives to your campaign account and then you pick who you have dinner with, you have a very, you, your diverse group shrinks. Yeah. But I do think there's something to be said for, even if your diverse group is small, if you go to Dominico's, you're going to see somebody and you're going to recognize, say hi, maybe strike up a conversation. I think the, the part of this community that's, that's a small town, I, I think adds to some of the camaraderie of the legislature. I, I, I would agree. Uh... I think that was actually more true historically also. Mm -hmm. As you're talking, I'm reminded of the, uh, the creation of the Jefferson City Country Club, which was created in 1911, uh, largely as an effort to try to keep the capital here. The capital fire had occurred in February 1911. There had been multiple efforts um, to create a country club, but, but they'd all fallen short. Well, who takes the lead in this? The governor of the state of Missouri, Herbert Hadley. Uh, there are 100 uh, shares initially in the country club, $100 a share. The only guy who owned two is the Missouri governor. I mean, the governor was intimately involved in the creation of the country club, but also in the community. He had a house that's still standing just 
a few blocks from here on uh, High Street. Uh, these, the, the, there was something called the Jefferson City Hunt Club. Uh, this was a club that hunted out in what is now Painted Rock State Park. And they had game dinners at the Capitol, at the governor's mansion. I mean, there was much greater involvement on the part of statewide elected officials in the community than there probably is now. I suppose you have the exception with Mike Keogh, who is a local. What a great ambassador for Jefferson City to yeah. the state of Missouri. Uh, one of the most dynamic. Look back to you. Where do you go? Uh, where, where do you go to college? I went to Lincoln University. Um, my, my parents didn't even go to high school. Were you, did, you, did you grow up Catholic? Oh, absolutely. I grew up, uh, I mean, there wasn't anything else. I didn't know there was, there were other religions almost. I mean, I, I guess I did, but uh, in, in my world, there were the Catholics and the damned. You know, you were either Catholic or you were <laughs> non-Catholics were. Well, my mom was Pentecost, so I, I understand where you're coming yeah, from. Yeah, um, She helps those Assembly of God folks get a little religion in them and they can come <laughs> to heaven too, you know. So, uh, so I, I really, my, my, my aspiration coming out of high school was to be a social worker. Uh, I was gonna save the world. I was one of those 1960s kids who was gonna save the world. I went to Lincoln University because it was 30 miles from my home mm -hmm. and it was the most affordable institution of higher education in the state. I just feel like right now, this is the most I think Lincoln University is a tremendous gem for this state. I think it's one of the most dynamic places. And I think this new president, I, I feel like there's this, I, I, and I hate to say this, this is a white guy from the boot hill, the, the typical straight, white, you know, hillbilly, redneck guy saying this. So I understand how it sounds, but I, I think there's a real, a real groundswell for Lincoln as a historically black college but also as a regional college. I mean, I think Lincoln's one of the best things. I, I've got, a, I've had interns in Lincoln. They are outstanding. I, I think with the new president, and, and maybe I'm, what I feel like as I said this, I think Rich Callahan, my buddy, has rubbed off on me because he's on the board now and he's, I think he was gonna be on for a short time he planted. The new president has really just, uh, I've always felt that it was there. It just, and then, then they got the first time they ever got their land grant money. I feel like there's an excitement as an alumnus. It just feels like some good things are happening for Lincoln. I think so too. And I, I like the president, the new president. I've only met him a few times. I've talked with him a bit. But uh, in, in, in some ways, I am the prototypical uh, modern Lincoln student. A yes. local guy yep. from a nine county area. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that really is, uh, I mean, you can't deny Lincoln's uh, status as a HBCU and its rich history. And I, I'm partial to that history because I sure. was part of it. Uh, Lincoln what, was once called the Harvard of, Black Harvard of the Midwest. What, a, what an enrichment your education had in your life because you were exposed Absolutely. to folks with different cultures, you know? Lincoln University is the place where I discovered the world of the mind and decided I wanted to live in that world. I had never been around black people there was one black person in the whole county in which I lived in, and yeah. I hardly ever saw him. I, I, I had no exposure to alternative ways of looking at the world, as I indicated. I was, came from a totally Catholic background, very homogenous community. Lincoln changed that for me. And so I, I, uh, I had not liked history as a kid. I'd always hated history. Really? History was taught to me as names and dates and places you had to memorize. I tell you, I've always loved it. I've well, always loved it. I, well, it's always come natural to me too. It maybe makes it easier, but I, uh, what 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 drove my interest in history were the two dominant movements of my generation: Vietnam and the Civil Rights Movement. I was deeply troubled by both. You know, I'm an 18 year old kid in the mid 1960s. Uh, and I'm bothered by what I'm seeing on TV uh, in the South, especially Selma and so forth. I'm bothered immensely by the riots going on, starting with 
Watts in 1965, Newark, and then all the riots after King's assassination, also bothered by Vietnam. Uh, I was only 16 when I graduated from high school, so I wasn't quite susceptible to the draft, but a lot of my classmates were older. In fact, one of my closest friends from that period is still missing in Vietnam. He's been missing since April 1967. And so I wanted to understand what, what is going on and why? And the only way I could understand was to read history about the Vietnam War. And the same was true of the Civil Rights Movement. The only way I could understand that was to study history. And so I took a black history course. It was called Negro History then, with a guy named Lorenzo Johnston Green. I had no idea. I had Green as a, as a Western Civ teacher. I thought he was an expert in the ancient and Greek and Roman worlds. I didn't know at the time, he was in his late 60s, I didn't know he was one of the preeminent scholars of black history in the country. The father of black history is a guy named Carter Woodson, only the second black person to get a PhD from Harvard. W.B. Du Bois was the first. Green was his research assistant in the late 1920s, and then in 1933 came out to Lincoln University to teach and never left. 30 years later, I became his research assistant. And so I became interested in, researched about, and I've written a lot about the black experience in Missouri, even though I'm not black. Where'd you teach at? I taught at, from, at Lincoln for 15 years. Uh, Green's last action as department chair was to hire me as a young faculty member who didn't have a PhD. I just had a master's degree. In fact, I had to finish the master's degree that summer for, for, because he couldn't hire me without the master's degree. And then two years later, I got a fellowship to do a PhD at American University in Washington, D.C. because they thought I was black. <laughs> because I, I had written some articles and I came from Lincoln University and I, had a re, I was a research assistant of one of the most prominent black scholars in the country. I was at, at AU in Washington, D.C. for probably six months. And finally, one day, one, a secretary said to me, I just can't stand it anymore. I got to tell you, we all thought you were black. <laughs> so, they didn't um, have Facebook, then look you up, right? Back in the day. So, so I'm a believer in affirmative action because I was a beneficiary. You benefit, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I taught at Lincoln for 15 years. I left Lincoln to become the state archivist under Roy Blunt in 1987. Lincoln was going through some, some serious challenges at that time. When, when, Roy, when Senator Blunt, then Secretary of State Blunt, first approached me, uh, he called me on a Saturday morning and asked me if I was interested in becoming a state archivist. And I said, no, you know, I have tenure, I have my summers off, I have a month off at Christmas, why in the world would I want to do that? And over the course of several weeks, we had multiple conversations. And uh, he made the job sound intriguing. I liked him. I appreciated his love for Missouri history. And I thought I'd give it a try. And I was there four years. I left uh, for two reasons. One is I really missed teaching. I left there and went to William Woods and taught for another 15 years. Uh, but the other reason I left was because by that time, Roy had decided he was going to run for governor, and I, uh, I didn't want to work for somebody else. And, and in fact, I left there in the fall of 1991, but when I left, I told Roy, if you ever need anything from me, just call me. And so <laughs> the next summer, when uh, he was uh, heavily campaigning in that primary against Webster and uh, guy from West Plains. Wendell Bailey. Wendell Bailey. When he was running against Bailey and Webster, I, uh, I drove him a lot during that 92 campaign. I traveled with him a lot. I want to thank our sponsors always, Missouri Farm Bureau, Missouri Association of Electric Co-ops, some folks at Oroy Blunt, Missouri Association of Counties, getting to come talk about the history of the state. We usually do a county. We're doing the, the whole state uh, with Gary Kramer, the head of the Historical Society. Um, how different would this state have been if Republicans nominate Roy Blunt in 92? I think it would have been tremendously different. I yeah. mean, it was, um, you know, I, I, I go back really to uh, the beginning of the transformation in 1968 when uh, 
John Danforth won. And in fact, uh, you know, one of the people who drove John Danforth around southwest Missouri in an old pickup truck was Roy Blunt. Uh, these were different Republicans than the Republicans today. And in fact, interestingly, in my mind, uh, they were running against what they perceived to be the corruption mm -hmm. of the Democrats yep. and the Warren Hearns uh, regime. And of course, Hearns had run as a rebel against the old Democrats yep. of, of the central bank. Uh, but I, I think I think things would, would have been different. I, uh, I don't want to get too deeply into politics, but if you were to ask me, who, who's, who's the guy I think is the most interesting Missouri governor uh, in 200 years? I would probably say Herbert Hadley. Uh, Herbert Hadley was governor from, uh, he was elected in 1908 sure. and served four years. If you want to see a, a you want to see his picture carved in stone, you can go down the old penitentiary, right? It's on the front, correct? That's Doc. Doc That's Dockery, okay. That's Alexander Dockery. Before we get into governors, I'm going to spit by some questions. I want to take a break, though, because I got some uh, – I'm going to do historical pulpery until you're busy because I could sit here uh, – I'd I'd wear your I'd wear your podcast stuff out with, <clears throat> with me sitting and listening to this. I'm going to take a break. We'll come right back. We'll show Missouri. This is Missouri one county at a time uh, after this. We are Missouri Farm Bureau Insurance, and we're for the Missouri way of life. We're for worrying less about the what-ifs and more about the why-nots. We're for checking off your bucket list and then making a new one for starting a family, a business, a tradition. And if you find yourself starting over, we're here for that too. We're for building a life in Missouri and then going out and living it. And when it comes to making sure everything you've built is protected, we're for you. We are Missouri Farm Bureau Insurance. Welcome back to Show Missouri. This is Missouri one county at a time. Today we are having a show I've looked forward to for so long. I, I owe a huge hat tip to Rodney Boyd for helping me facilitate having the foremost historian in the state of Missouri, Gary Kramer, on. I'm so honored you stuck around in this. I've tell you, I've looked forward to this uh, since Vince Rodney told me that you're willing to do it. I appreciate your time. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Uh, let's, I, I, we'll, we'll do a little rapid fire here. Let's throw Mount Rushmore of senators from Missouri, and I'll, I'll throw mine out. Uh, I would say Thomas Hartman. You know, I don't know how you get around that one. That um, I think you can make some arguments. Uh, from my perspective, you'd have Kit Bond on there. I don't know how you get around Kit Bond. Symington, to me, make an argument. Eagleton, maybe argue those two. But I think it's you hate to put people when they're still around and fresh in your mind. But I'm not sure how folks get around Roy Blunt. The overall service to the to the nation and the product, the things he produced for this state. I, I think I'd probably go Symington, Benton. Blunt and Bond. Give me yours. Uh, I'd agree with at least three out of the four, probably. Which one would you pop out? Uh, well, I'm not sure. I, 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 let me let me talk through this and yeah. think through it. Benton, you're right. There's no no debate. And and in my mind, one of the most remarkable things about Benton is the stand he took on the expansion of slavery. Yep. And he knew he knew that was going to destroy his political career, but he thought it was. And, and he was a slave owner early mm -hmm. in his career. But by the time the, of the Wilmot Proviso and the discussion about what's to happen over the land acquired as a consequence of the Mexican War, Benton decides that, that slavery is a curse on America. And he doesn't want to expand it. He's not ready to destroy it where it exists. So I, uh, Benton, Benton would be absolutely one. I think Symington I'd have no quibbles with. Uh, you know, he's the first United States uh, Secretary of the Air Force. Mm -hmm. uh, tremendous impact on making Missouri a, a, a state of defense, the defense industry. Um, we're, we're talking senators, not congressmen, mm -hmm. right? Because my head went to Ike Skelton too. Yeah, when he was talking yeah, about that. Yeah, I, I, that made me think of Ike. Um, I, I, I would absolutely say Roy Blunt. Um, I uh, not just because he's a good friend, but but uh, look at what he has done uh, in, 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 in areas that I don't think he gets enough credit for. Mental health, mm -hmm. I think he's done a tremendous, I mean, he's brought, he's brought money to Missouri, uh, the next gen facility in uh, Columbia, Centen, and, and the, with the US, uh, the space, spatial, whatever it's called, uh, the USGIS place in St. Louis. 
but uh, but I think he's he's just helped everyday average average. I have a theory about this: that if you got in the truck here in Jeff City, and we drove for an hour, no matter where we drove, and we stopped three or four places and drank us a beer, got us lunch, looked around. There's no way we could drive for an hour without driving on a piece of road that Kit Bond or Roy Blunt helped subsidize, yeah. drinking a glass of water they somehow helped clean, going to the bathroom and somehow they helped make not, you know, and make, make environmentally better for the folks that live here. I don't think you could drive an hour in any direction without touching something that they brought money home to help help subsidize and fund. Yeah. So I, I'll, I'll give you Bond too in, in that regard. Who would you put if you didn't have uh, maybe, Eagleton. I, yeah. uh, maybe Eagleton? Yeah. Maybe Eagleton. Would, I, I think you, maybe I'd have to have five faces on Rushmore. Well, as well as saying, it, it's not fair. You, you're gonna, you're either gonna, you listen to this and you're a Democrat, you'd be like, oh, da da da. In the moment, it's hard to, I think our list actually, mine was two and two. Um, I, I, I think in history would do so well in, 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 in the field of intelligence. He, he's been done so many high level intelligence things that you can't yeah. talk about. Yeah. But also, I look at, you know, to me, I look at how his colleagues view him. And if you look at who was the person on the stand when Donald Trump was inaugurated and Barack Obama's right yeah. behind him, they, they and then for Joe Biden, again, he was the person that his colleagues trusted to be there, to represent them, to represent the country in a time of, um, I mean, history will forget the tumultuous time, especially when Joe Biden was there. A lot of his own party was demanding that he wasn't duly elected, still do some of them. But Roy Blunt was the person who very dignified represented his party, his country, and Missourians. I, I, I don't know that the, that the state could ever honor him in enough ways. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Um, while you were talking, it made me think of something. Uh, oh, I, I know what it was. We launched a, uh, a lecture series that we call My Missouri. This was something that we started uh, three or four years ago. Uh, my goal with this lecture series is to have people at or near the end of their careers reflect back upon what Missouri has meant to them, how Missouri has shaped and molded them. Are there Missouri characteristics? Is there a Missouri character? The person who delivered the first My Missouri lecture was Claire McCaskill. Oh, wow. Who introduced her? Roy Blunt. Is that recorded or anything? It is. It is. I, let, let, I should have asked this. I get so caught up wanting to hear what you had to say. Where can folks, what's the website? Folks, go check out the historical it's, society. It's just shsmo.org. And if you're, if you're in Columbia and you don't go to the historical museum, you've really missed out. It's at 605 Elm Street. Uh, we've always been on the campus of the University of Missouri. Mm -hmm. We have an affiliation with the university but we have a separate governing body, a board of trustees, and- uh, A lot of names folks would know. A lot of names folks would know, like Roy Blunt and Steve Limbaugh, uh, two of whom I consider to be my- Rodney, friends. right, Rodney Boyd. Rodney Boyd, um, Ron Richard. Uh, oh, what a Missourian. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so- Man we, that we loves were, this state. We were in the basement of Ellis Library for over 100 years. We mm -hmm. built a new building, opened it on August 10th, 2019 closed it the following March because of COVID, but oh, we're, no. back, we're back in business again. It's a, it's a magnificent structure, 76,000 square foot, that, that is uh, the premier center for the study of Missouri State Memphis. I got to just come and watch um, one of the first things you had there to open with ceremonies, and the look of pride on Bob Purdy's face that day. I could almost get teared up. I mean, uh, such a such a tremendous Missourian and such a good man and how proud he was and he should have been proud yeah. and I w watching him just uh, you know his heart was just full that day and it, it it made my heart full to see a guy like a man like Bob Pretty who if you don't look up to Bob Pretty there's something wrong with you uh, the pride he had in that building I mean it, it is it is a pride it's a great thing for this state my son will get to come there you know it, it yeah. was done right you know yeah, I think it was. It, it, part of that was because it took us so long to get the money. We had a lot of time to plan. Think about it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, tell, all right, give me your Mount Rushmore, Missouri governors. Uh, my Mount Rushmore, Missouri governors. I've already said that Herbert Hadley would probably be yep. at the top of the list. I think Hamilton Gamble in the Civil War. Uh, 
Does it be a little hard to take though because we didn't choose him, he was forced on us. He was forced on us, but but he did a hell of a job, uh, in my judgment, of of I, I guess it depends on the side you're on here. But I think uh, a, a, a slighter politician might not have been able to keep Missouri in the union. Of course, I believe Missouri should have remained in the union. I, I do too, but I, I think it's, um, uh, there's a, uh, Mel Carnahan had to go get elected. Yeah. And he had to say things that could be contrasted later. It's a little bit different. I, I mean, I, I highly value the ability it takes to get the people of Missouri to elect you. Yeah. And I, I, I think to me, he gets like an asterisk because he, he did not have to go do that. He yeah. did not go earn the trust of the people of this state. Okay. I mean, I'll, hell, I'll, he was over in Ohio or something, right? Yeah. For a while. And, yeah. and uh, where would Governor Dunklin rate? Um, he, I don't know. Uh, you know, he's from Potosi. He, uh, he, he's one of the reasons we needed a capital because he had seven kids and the previous governor had none, was a bachelor, and the old building that was out here couldn't accommodate uh, the facilities. But he, he did have a role in in really, um, what's the word I'm looking for here, of, of, of helping Missouri to define what it was to be a state, I think. He helped with some public education stuff. I thought he yeah. did a few things, you know? But, but even, but, yeah, but, uh, but there was no sentiment, no strong mm -hmm. sentiment for public education back then or funding public education. One of the realities, it seems to me, of Missouri, I mean, if, if you look back at what are some Missouri characteristics, I mean, in, in his inaugural address, Alexander McNair laid the groundwork yep. for what we still do today, which is low taxes, limited government, and if we do that, people will flock to Missouri. And that worked in the 19th century. It stopped, though. It stopped in the 20th century, and it stopped when we became an urban state. We became an urban state mm -hmm. in the 1920s. It stopped when the land for agricultural uh, living stopped. And it, I mean, if you look at the 20th century, uh, Missouri has declined since 1900 in its ranking in the popula population of states since 1920. We've gone down every decade. Mm -hmm. The city of St. Louis uh, peaked at 800 some thousand in 1950. Now it doesn't even have 400,000. Uh, Governor, uh, I thought Governor Fletcher, he, he had to take on some things that were tough. I always, um, Governor Francis, I thought, my, I've always heard maybe one of the most talented people to ever serve went on. I believe he was ambassador of Russia. He was. Um, we got an ag, ag guy. Give me, give me your top four. I'm still thinking Fletcher would probably be among them. I mean, would be. he had to uh, he had to carry us into the post-war world. Uh, Fletcher was one of those so-called radical Republicans, very liberal on the issue of race. Uh, mm -hmm. In fact, he personally gave money to establish Lincoln Institute. Uh, he also uh, was a key supporter of black education in Missouri at a time when many Missourians didn't want, in fact, there were many people who wanted blacks to be sent out of the state and colonized either in Central or South America or sent back to Africa. So yeah, Fletcher, Fletcher would be one. I think Carnahan would be one for me, uh, particularly with regard to support of education and mental health. Um, you know, again, I like Bond as a governor. I always, I, you know, Governor Carnahan, I think, was truly a transformational figure. He, he transformed the Democrat Party into, I mean, I think electorally it did, was not good where he took them, but he accomplished things. If you're, if you're a liberal Democrat, I don't know that anybody in the modern time has ever delivered like Mel Carnahan has. Yeah. And he did it in a way where that one-room schoolhouse talk, he, he knew how to sell that. He's the last person that I've seen that knew how to sell that real liberalism. Now, I believe Claire McCaskill was a tremendous U.S. senator. And if she would have had another term, would have had a chance to, to really be one of those folks. But I, 
she uh, she sold some she sold a different product uh, for a, for a more for a tougher constituency for her yeah. from her perspective. I thought Mel Carnahan sold true liberalism. Yeah. Where Kit Bond, you talk about a guy who I remember I've read about the race where the last time abortion was never discussed was '76 and '80 because you had a pro-choice Kit Bond Republican and a pro-life Joe Teasdale Democrat. Kit Bond saw the whole, the whole specter of the realignment of politics it really come in and did well for the state. I think Matt Blunt's term uh, will be better. His historians will look at the, the large accomplishments that, that came a lot because they had the majority for the first time. Yeah. But, but he was there and, and signed up into law, and that, I think that matters. You know, um, I thought uh, Francis is the one that kind of got the World's Fair going and I think a lot of people in St. Louis still live in 1904 so I think you got to kind of I think you got to give him a little uh, I, I've always thought he, he did well um, you know uh, folk it, it maybe maybe not folks taste but he certainly left an impact on the state yeah he did I mean in, in some ways some would say folk was more to what would be elected today because yes of his moralism um, but he certainly you know um, Again, as you're talking, I'm thinking about something. When I said Hadley was one of my favorite governors, Hadley in many ways was a TR guy, a Teddy Roosevelt Republican, who believed in the power of government to restore and guarantee competition. So Hadley went after Standard Oil, he went after the railroads and so forth. And I'm just going to try this idea out on you, but, but in some ways you could argue that even up to Bond and Danforth, Missouri Republicans were kind of Teddy Roosevelt Republicans in the sense of their, their belief that government could be a positive force in guaranteeing competition. Whereas today, there is no purpose for government in the minds of many people, uh, okay. both politically and, I mean, you know, the, the, the fact that uh, we've gone out of our way to try to limit the power of government, both financially and, and in passing laws. To me, the Republicans, there was a, even a Peter Kinder Republican, who I think probably would be more on limiting all government in, in hindsight, but I, I even look back to then when the majority was first taken by Republicans, it wanted to limit, it wanted to limit and decrease the things government did, but the things government did, they wanted to do them well. Yeah. And I think the difference anymore for Republicans are they not only want to limit the things government does, which I think a lot of folks in this state are okay with. The thing that's changed is almost a cynical anger to make the things government does to to make them to beat them down to where they can't even do those well, to do nothing. Yeah. And I, that's a real intellectual difference from let's limit the, the role government has in our lives and limit the things government does to let's destroy anything it does to where it can do nothing. Those to me are different things. Yeah, the, the cynicism and negativity about government. I mean, I, you know, again, I grew up in a time and place that was almost the opposite. Uh, the post-World War II generation, the, the boomers had a strong belief in government's ability to positively affect people's lives. So now we're at a point where we believe that government can't do anything positive to improve or help people's lives. The oh. pendulum swung entirely in the opposite direction. Let me, uh, and I'll, I'll start to, I'll begin to wrap this up. Give me your favorite old, old school state senator that, that from the Dick Webster School, from the the the, the Senator yeah, Madison. I don't even, before you even finish, okay. Emory Melton. <laughs> uh, I loved Emory Melton. I uh, Emory Melton wanted you to think he was a country bumpkin lawyer, but he was one of the shrewdest politicians I've ever met. He was also one of the nicest guys. I loved sitting and just talking with him and listening to his stories. Um, I can't remember the name. One, one of my favorite Emory stories is, uh, I can't 
can't remember the, the, a Democratic senator from Boone County who sat very near Emory, and he told me once that Emory had the reputation for being prepared and reading everything. And this guy had a reputation for reading nothing and never being prepared. And <laughs> they were, but they were good friends. And one day, Emory came over to him and he said to him, now I know you haven't read this bill, but you, here's how you need to vote, because here's how your party's gonna vote on this. I'm gonna vote this way, but you need to vote this way. And he did. He, never, he did not steer him wrong. <coughs> uh, so uh, Emory Melton would be by far uh, number one. Bud Barnes would be pretty high up. Now that's, a, like, tell me about him. Um, I, I probably liked him a lot because he was such a strong supporter of history. Uh, he was from Kirkwood. He was a longtime uh, uh, activist in the State Historical Society of Missouri. A, a real scholar of the Civil War. Um, I, and, and in some ways, a reincarnation of the radical Republicans of the post-World War period. But he, he was a strong supporter of education, a, a, a undoubtedly a conservative Republican, but uh, somebody whose who, who's words you could trust, uh, who said what he meant and meant what he said, a strong supporter of Roy Blunt's, and uh, just just a really nice guy. I love the, to me, I, um, I found an old C-SPAN interview of Senator Webster, mm -hmm. and I clipped it for, cut up some parts of it. And there were some younger folks, Republicans all fired up, and they were talking about how right to work they were. And I was like, well, that's kind of a new thing you guys have come up with. And like, really? Well, you've heard of Senator Webster. Oh, of course, you know, he was terrific. He was probably the pro I was like, no, no, no. There was about nine Republicans. And he was as powerful as you've heard because yeah. the Senate was powerful. And I go, but uh, no, he, he got endorsed by the AFL-CIO every time you're in. They're like, no, he didn't. And I was like, so I played the C-SPAN clip, which of course he was talking about how he was endorsed by the AFL-CIO every time he ran. And I, it was such a, that, to me, that's such an interesting, again, you, you're talking about how many things should government do, which is normally a Republican's gonna limit that up, Democrats gonna expand that. But they both usually agreed on the things we do, we're gonna do very well. And, and I think that's a Dick Webster guy. And the old bullshitter in me likes Senator Matheson. I, as, a, as, a, as a country guy myself, I kind of appreciated the just little bit of bullshit he put on the gears of things to, to make them run. I, and I love the state fair. So I, I've always had a, I've always loved him. I love the ag dinner. It, it, it was not, it was not, last year it wasn't what, it wasn't what it could have, what it normally was because and, and obviously, in later years, he was not the, you know, he'd gotten older like we all are or will, but he was still there. And last year in that new, you know he would have loved that new building they built for the ham breakfast. And the, the, the ag dinner is always where I got to really talk to him more than the ham breakfast. He had so many people there. And you guys usually hung over at the ham breakfast. But at the ag dinner that night before, uh, I, I missed him. I think everybody did. Mentioning him makes me think of the guy I enjoyed watching the most, and that was Danny Staples. <laughs> there was nobody more entertaining, more folksy, more, you know, if you want to talk about stories, Missouri stories. Talk about a slow, I've always thought the Slow Player Hall of Fame would have <laughs> Danny Staples in it, would have Ron Richard in it. Ron would do all he could do to get you to think he just ain't paying attention, he just yeah. And Ron, Ron Richard, always, to me, it was the embodiment of the guy that was the valedictorian but could be class president, you know. I always thought, when I was talking to Ron Richard, I thought I was in a locker room, and about to get a towel snapped. But Ron, and Ron would come off that way, but he was thinking five things ahead of you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then Sarah Stillman was always very good at pretending like she was not as brilliant as she is. She always worked that very well, I thought. Ron would be one of my favorites, and again, part of that is because he was such a strong supporter of the State Historical Society. I first became uh, friends with Ron when he started putting people into the uh, Hall of Fame, the mm -hmm. Statuary Hall of Fame, Missouri, whatever it's called, uh, Missouri Hall of Fame. And he wanted to put George Cagle Bingham in there, the early 19th century Missouri artist. And uh, so I did the research for him and, and we, we just started talking about 
Missouri history uh, and, you know, continues to do that. But, uh, you know, he, he was, you're right, he, he, was, uh, he, was, he was a tactician. One, one of my uh, favorite scenes and memories of him was, uh, I think, can't remember the year, I think it was 20... 13, 14, 15, somewhere in there. He was in the Senate. He was President Pro Tem. And uh, we were trying to get money for the celebration of the Bicentennial. And uh, Steve Limbaugh and I, uh, Steve, uh, Judge Limbaugh was the president of the State Historical Society. We'd been down to talk to um, the guy from Poplar Bluff who was speaker then. Uh, Todd Richardson? Todd Richardson. We'd been down to talk to him. And he was very supportive of, of what we were doing. And so we, we go down to the other end of the hall to talk to Senator uh, Richards. And uh, Senator Richards just says, well, well, hell, you need more money than that. We're gonna go down and we're gonna, we're gonna tell the speaker. And so four men walk down the hallway and it's like Moses through the Red Sea. Ron Richard, because Keogh came into the room yeah. and he says, come on, Keogh, we're going down to talk to the speaker. And so I'm trailing behind these three giants, Steve Limbaugh, uh, Ron Richard, and Mike Keogh. Was there a hope in hell Todd had of saying no? So we get to the speaker's <laughs> office. We get to the speaker's office and the speaker's door is shut. Ron Richard... Uh, yeah. just walks past the administrative assistant there, says, we need to see the speaker. And he just opens the door to the speaker's office, and these three guys walk in, and I'm hanging back like, you know, I think I know these guys, but I'm not, not one of them. And he just says to the speaker, Mr. Speaker, uh, here's what we need to do. And I can't remember the exact figure he said, but we need to put this much money in these guys' budget for the bicentennial. And he didn't even wait for an answer turned on his heels and walked back out and, and the deal was done. I, I would say uh, to this day if a phone call for Todd Rich, on Todd Richardson's phone comes up Ron Richard, it doesn't ring twice, he answers it right away. Uh, that's that's um, it's uh, As a Southeast Missourian, we were always kind of trained to not like Ron because he wasn't a fan of a couple of our uh, forerunners, but he uh, he has a way of the love of this state just comes out in him. And, and if, you're, if you're looking for it, you can see it. And if you ain't looking for it, it just comes up and, and touches you. And uh, it was a, he's a terrific man that, that I can't even imagine all the things he's touched. Like with, when, you have the, when you have the power of the federal government, that's one thing. But when you, from, this, from the state government, you look at the things he's been able to touch, it is an amazing, uh, amazing legacy he's left. Let me, I'll, I'll wrap up here. I want, want to thank our sponsors, the Missouri Farm Bureau, the Missouri Association of Counties, the Missouri Association of Electric Co-ops, for letting us have this conversation with uh, Gary Kramer, the head of the Historical Society. Uh, one of the most enjoyable things I've done in a long time, uh, sir. I really appreciate it. Uh, give me your favorite uh, Missouri political story. Just one, give, me, give me one. If we just sitting over at Patty Malone's and Allen's running around, what, 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 give me something that we'd, uh, give me a good story that bring a laugh. It's not totally political, but I guess I guess it really is. Um, in the in the 1930s, 1933, uh, FDR has just been elected governor or president. We have a new governor, and the state is bankrupt. The state can't even make the payroll, and so the president of the central bank, a guy named Howard Cook, uh, goes over to see the state treasurer, a guy named Dick Nacy, and says to him, uh, we can solve your problem. We'll, we'll put some money in the state coffers so you can make the payroll. We'll, we'll, we'll give you a million dollars. Uh, no strings attached. Well, there are strings attached. We'll give you a million dollars interest-free. 
and you can make the payroll. And we are also, uh, we had some federal obligations we had to make to get federal funds matching. What do you want? We just want state funds to be deposited in the central bank interest-free deal. So the state of Missouri got bailed out of its problem that it couldn't make the payroll and it was broke. And the central bank for the next 30 years had all the state's deposits interest-free that didn't change until Warren Hearns became governor. And the next year, Dick Nacy, uh, who, who had a, he was related somehow to Tom Pendergast, I don't remember, a niece or something. Uh, Dick Nacy becomes the president of the central bank. Politics. Um, Mr. Cook once told me, Sam Cook, uh, who I greatly admired, uh, whose father, grandfather was Sam Cook. Uh, Sam, Sam, Sam Cook, the original, was a newspaper publisher, born in Virginia, opened a newspaper in Mexico, came to Jefferson City uh, to be Secretary of State in 1896. In those days, the Secretary of State was always a newspaper guy because one of the principal functions was publishing the House and Senate journals and memorials and so forth. Um, he, he lost uh, his race in 1900 and uh, Lon Stevens, the governor who left office in January 1901, started a bank called the Central Missouri Trust Company. And then he decided he didn't want to be in Jefferson City, he moved to St. Louis. And so he uh, moved his friend Sam Cook into the presidency of the Central Missouri Trust Company. Many people think that Central Trust was founded by the Cooks, but it wasn't. It was mm -hmm. Lon Stevens, who was a Boonville, Missouri banker. Um, so anyway, uh, so, so that begins the, the Cooks in Missouri politics. Um, I, uh, I, I, w I was engaged in an effort in about 2000 trying to save the, the Sam Cook house, which was eventually torn down up where Heisinger home is. And so I, I, uh, I asked Mr. Cook one day, uh, Mr. Cook, you got any stories about your grandfather? Is he, he looked like his grandfather, pictures. His grandfather died in the 1930s. I said, yeah, yeah. He said, uh, he was living out on, uh, uh, out off of Morrow Drive, the house that later uh, Jay Nixon lived in. Uh, so anyway. It's a beautiful so, street, isn't it? Yeah, so he, uh, one day his dad, Howard, said, uh, after his grandfather died, he said, uh, you need to go check on Grandma. Go check on Grandma Cook. So he got her on the streetcar, and the streetcar came right down Morrow and then out to West Main. And uh, Mr. Cook told me, as he went in, he went in the back door in the kitchen, and he could hear his grandmother um, listening to a FDR fireside chat. And so he had been schooled not to interrupt something like that, and he just stood in the kitchen. Fire chat, fireside chat was over. They played the national anthem. Grandma stood up with her hand on her heart. And so only after this did little Sammy go into the parlor. And M Mrs. Cook saw him come in. Sammy, come here. Sit down. Your grandfather loved you. I love you. I must tell you the three great lessons of life. First, Sammy, you must always be loyal to your God and your church. And second, Sammy, you must always be loyal to your country. There is no greater country in the world. And third, Sammy, you must always be loyal to the Democratic Party. <laughs> of course, that, that changed eventually. Well, world changes. Uh, uh, and, and it was really the, the split between the Cooks and, uh, and Warren Hearns that led to the Cooks becoming the strong supporters of the Republicans. I saw, looking at the history, there's a lot of parallels between Carnahan and Hearns. Yeah. I mean, they, they I think folks would have thought Shamel might have started that race as a favorite, and, and Warren Hearns certainly did not start his race as a favorite. Um, and and the, their brand of liberalism, of the government doing more. Uh, Except 
Warren Hearns was fiercely opposed to the federal government being involved in the state of Missouri. Didn't that come from race issues? I think, it, well, uh, yeah, I don't want to call anybody a racist. I think that, but well, also... Wouldn't some of that tide come from those issues? But, but he, he, he also was opposed to urban renewal and all those kinds of things. He, he thought that taking federal money tied the state of Missouri to too many federal government regulations. He was quite willing to use state governmental power liberally. But there's some truth to that, right? Well, uh, I mean, that is one of the basic issues. I mean, look at the state budget this year. Good Lord. Yeah. I mean, the biggest budget ever. This I've always said that the air is fresher. The pizza at air is pizza. Mm-hmm. The ingredients are better. <clears throat> the, the Budweiser is colder in Jeff City when there's state money, when the, when the budget's flush. It's all flush with federal money. And, and, and there's no question. Look at Desi. Yeah. When they go to spend a dollar, they have yeah. – there's no way they can go around without – they have to meet, jump to the hoops. Yeah. Let me ask you this last question. This state, to me, whether it's been Republicans, been Democrat, tight with their wallet, for the most part, uh, pro-life, pro-gun, the real, I don't think, the show me isn't cynical. The show me to me is analytical and logical. Slow. They're very slow to do things. They want to, they want to see how it goes. I've not seen that Regardless of who's in power, you could describe most of the Missouri legislatures and folks like that, whether they called it conservatism or not. Give me some of the traits that this state's had that regardless of the political wins, if you could start describing the people of this state throughout its history, give me, give me some descriptions of them. Well, I, I think you're absolutely right. There have been very few liberal Democrats in Missouri's mm-hmm. history. Many of the, and if you go back to the strength and power of the New Deal era Democrats. They're, they're Southern Democrats. They're, they're uh, very fiscally conservative Democrats. Uh, fiscally conservative, absolutely, that would be one of the definers that goes back to Alexander McNair in the first governorship. Uh, skeptical, cynical. Um, I think uh, I, 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 th- this word is going to sound in a way I don't mean it, provincial, but provincial in the sense of we're, we're very regionalist. We're, uh, we, we don't trust people from other parts of the state, in my judgment. St. Louisans don't trust Kansas Cityans. Boot Hillers don't trust Southwest Missouri. Do, do you think or do you think that all of us don't like St. Louis? <laughs> and St. Louis doesn't no, I, care I, about the rest think, of us? I think it is... It's more than I've seen this with our organization. Wouldn't St. Louis have to realize there is a Kansas City to distrust it? Yeah, I mean, th- th- there is the St. Louis. I mean, you know, again, going back in our history, in the debate and discussion about the first Constitution in 1820, there are people in outstate Missouri complaining that St. Louis has a disproportionate amount of influence and control over what the Constitution is going to say. It's part of our history. There's always been this fear of and hostility toward St. Louis throughout our history. But, but I, I'd still, uh, you know, I, I remember a number of years ago uh, when there was serious talk about uh, merging some of the counties in northern Missouri that, you know, some of those counties were down 3,000 people or so. And the local commitment to the concept of a county was stronger than the desire to save money uh, by merging counties. By God, we're going to be Mercer County. We're going to be Worth County. We always have been. We're always going to be. And I I think that is part of the Missouri character. I I think that provincial part's real. I think it's done us very well, frankly, in a lot of ways. Some ways, there's no, nothing is all good, all bad, but I I think that's done us well. I view us I think the, the Missouri that we've been discussing today, though, and probably everybody that turns 40 feels this way, is, is slipping. And I don't mean changing is more conservative, more Democrat. That provincial quality, I watch now with reformers at the federal level and the state level have turned the way campaigns are funded into some bizarre, you know, you 
it's all packs, all this different squirrely stuff. I've watched a select people that we've never tried out. See what you about Jay Nixon, the state had tried him out. Mm-hmm. Carnahan, they'd beat, they'd beat him in races, they'd see him come back. John Ashcroft, they, they, you knew who you were getting. Um, I see out-of-state money, I see, I see Missourians. Uh, it feels as though, and, I, and, and a lot of it is, I'm in the news business. You get your news on your phone, so you get the news you want to hear, and you get it in a um, you get it in a form you want to get it in, and it's mostly national. Mm-hmm. It's not as much state news because national is going to have the most money, the most production in, into it. Uh, I see us becoming nationalized in a lot of ways, and I and as a one of those skeptical German Missourians myself, I don't think that's and I don't think it's done us well recently, and I don't think it'll do us well in the future. I think that that provincialism is something we're losing, and I think it'd be good if we had a little bit of a back. Yeah, maybe it, maybe it isn't provincialism in the negative connotations. Maybe it's more localism. I don't know, yeah. but uh, one of the one of the things that concerns me, and this is really a manifestation of the loss of the local newspapers, the community newspapers, mm-hmm. a sense of pride in the community. Um, I'm continually surprised at about about how little Missourians often know about the places they call home. You know, a, a place is really nothing more than a location of experiences. And to understand a place, you have to understand those experiences that go into making a place. And if you don't understand that, you have no appreciation for it. And when you don't appreciate something, you don't take care of it. So. In my mind, uh, somehow we've got to get back to appreciating the places that we call home, and to do that, we have to understand them and the the, the, the complexity of those places. I could do this for another two hours, <laughs> and you've got stuff to do. I appreciate the time, so I can't tell you how much I enjoyed the conversation. My pleasure. Thank you so much. See you next week on the Show of Missouri. This is Missouri, one county at a time. <laughs>